coming together from across the United States. The real issues you don't hear about elsewhere. Focusing on what matters to you and your neighbors. Welcome to Resist Bot Live. Hey y'all, it's April 17th, 2022. I'm your moderator, Melanie Vian, and this is Resist Bot Live. Welcome. We are here this Sunday and every Sunday at 1 p.m. on our YouTube channel. All you need to do is go to rs.bot slash video and you can join us live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern. For those of you who are not able to join us live or don't want to be on video, you can listen to our podcast. All you need to do is go to rs.bot slash pod. And if you'd still like to join the conversation, you can use our hashtag live botters. On February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine, its neighbor to the West. Just this week, United States President Joseph Biden called Russia's actions genocide. Last year, in last spring, we began hearing reports of the Tigray region in Ethiopia, where it was sounding an alarm that ethnic cleansing was taking place between Eritrea and the Amhara people, where they are saying that their culture is at risk of being completely erased. So what we're going to talk about is how the similarities and how we as everyday people can help. And of course, I am going to bring up my all-girl band. We'll first start with Susan Stutz. Hi there, everyone. How are you, Mel? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. No complaints here. So we are going to be talking about Tigray uh, this week and Ukraine. I think these are both topics that war is a monster. (laughs) And we could put it like that. So just trying to grasp these topics in an understandable way as people who don't really live through that experience, that end of things is hard enough, but watching it happen in real time. And also seeing that even though this is in the news, this is happening in a lot of places. And and we have a history of the world has been built on these conflicts. And I think one of the things that was important for me was recognizing that I don't have to understand all of the history. I don't necessarily need to understand how we got here. I just need to know that I can help. If I can do something to help, then you know that would be my role in this because I don't know a lot about foreign policy. I don't know the history of the Ukraine and of Russia and Tigray, but that doesn't mean that we can't help. That doesn't mean that we can't highlight it and put a spotlight on it and bring it to other people's attention too. And sometimes I think about how much of that is just a function of how we receive information as Americans. We tend to have a, there's a very American-centric lens that things tend to go through and depending on where we fall in those conflicts or if there's an American interest determines if we hear about them at all. And I think it matters who the victim is too, because, you know, Ukraine... And Tigray, the the same thing is, as you said in the intro, the same thing is happening there, but it matters to people what the victim looks like. And you have white people in the Ukraine and you have people of color in Tigray. And that makes a difference, I think, in that message that comes to us and in that information that comes to us. 
Absolutely. We there's that's one of the things where we can take note of the difference in messaging and how people are handled. And it's not even a deep dive. We have eyeballs. So we'll definitely be getting into that a bit today. And we also have Christine Liu joining us. Hi, Christine. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining. Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, as Susan was talking, I was also thinking those of us who do follow international relations like I do, this is a reminder of we can't cover every region. A lot of my expertise has been focused on Asia, specifically in recent years, the U.S. and China uh, relations. And as a result of that, when I hear and follow and learn about Ukraine, it's from my lens of, and you hear this in the news, is Taiwan next because I'm Taiwanese. But having said that, it was a really good point that Susan made. At times like this, it is, it is good to know what we don't know. And if we can just get a little bit more educated on it before we share opinions online, that is already a good start that's not happening a lot these days. So I'm looking forward to the conversation today. And I think before we dig into that, we can talk a bit about situations like this and how before we even get into the actual issue, we have to wade through the misinformation. Like we have to Since we know that that's a tool, since we know that people in power are going to try and obfuscate the facts, especially if they're at fault, then we need to make sure that we're A, doing our due diligence. But then there's the other side of that where in this social media age, and especially if you have any degree of invisibility, there's this expectation that you have to give your take. You have to speak on it. You have to say something. Not if you don't know what you're talking about. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to to hush and read or to say, I don't understand this. Can you point me to information? And then that if those sources are sources that you trust. But I think the, the living in the time of the hot take is also something and, and being in the rush to be first when we don't necessarily have pertinent facts that can be a danger when it comes down to sharing information on serious things like that. So that's the that's one of the big things that I've had to do, not only look for my sources, but then vet those sources to make sure that there's not some hidden agenda or, you know, somebody's not playing fast and loose with the truth. One of the things we did this week is spoke with someone who is personally affected by this. I had the opportunity to interview Mr. Vitaly DeRoche, who has been in America for 23 years, but still has family in Ukraine and is able to keep in touch with them to know what's going on, which I guess is one of those benefits that 20 years ago or so would not have necessarily been. Communication would have been much more difficult, but is able to keep in touch, is able to know what's going on. And he talked a bit about what it was like for him and also what the need would be, how how it is being on the other side of that for his family. So we'd like to talk a bit and get an excerpt of the conversation that we had with him. It's very much from the outside looking in. A lot of what we see are families, regular people who are fighting for their freedom, which is something that I think a lot of us here can can take for granted. Can you talk a little bit about the actual experience because we talked before about even just things like 
work in medical care, the struggles. Can you talk a bit about the struggles your family and the people you know are facing to give? Oh, I can tell you. I was working for a contractor. He didn't help. He didn't have medical insurance, so you can buy, but there is minimum wage. Minimum wage at the time was four seventy-five, so it was impossible to buy it. So I was so scared that if something happened to me, then it will be yeah. uh, hard to get treatment, whatever. But nothing happened until uh, actually it did happen. I fell from from scaffolding, crashed my head, and got disabled. But it was six months, six weeks, six years after. That. Working so worker compensation covered it. I was glad that my contractor hired me legally because when my brother-in-law came, somebody hired him just you know pay cash on the table. And <laughs> if that happened, there would be no workers' comfort. So it's actually now two family coming to our to to my wife brother's side family. To, they going to meet them in April 17th, but it's. <laughs> different family meeting them they already have work for them and they will help the relatives meet we're going to help as much as we can too which is so necessary when you're when you're starting over when it comes to supporting your family that's still there there's had to have been because there's there's not people aren't really able to work right now or earn money right now in these conditions right oh there is there is big trouble what happened actually with my daughter is writing message about it. People start to start to give money and be sending money over there. Yeah, there is, mm-hmm. I don't know, there is very scarce work what they can make. They're sending money basically for food to helping and for paying for utilities to our relatives. Mm-hmm. And they helping churches preparing food and they sending the food to, to Kiev and to their butcher. They were talking to people, area get free. They send in food by by van by trucks. Yeah. So, but they have to buy food because so far they exhaust all the food they have. Now they have to buy food. So just recently, I sent my brother, my brother, thousand dollars. It's not my money. My money was little bit, but people mm-hmm. just given. He was he spent all uh, everything on food and on on gas to to get to Kiev. He showed me videos. So it's. It's very hard to see what people getting through, but if you if you see, you probably seen it. Stories what happened when Ukrainian army freed that area around Kiev, that butcher place, and all that. It was yeah, it's just unthinkable. It's unlike anything I've seen. Uh, it's unlike anything a lot of us have seen on on this level in mainstream media, not necessarily in our lifetimes, at least. And. One of the things that you mentioned when we spoke was that even things like water are difficult and scarce right now. Oh, and I was especially was in Mariupol or we're still under the siege. I heard the story that we're talking, even the president was talking. President of Ukraine said, where it was snow, people that don't have water, they can melt the snow and have some water, you know, it's not clean water, but right now it's more difficult. People in occupied territories living without water, without food. What they doing, but they they actually when they occupy territory people they want people turn on their side. And people do they have kind of little easier but they don't want to be. People demonstrate and still fighting like her son. <laughs> when the people not don't want to, you know, uh, give up. They're just trying to 
eliminate them or what it just they're bad so far like i read this story just right now this they hit rocket hit uh, station train station kramatorsk mm-hmm. where it was about 4000 people 50 killed and they deny that they did it they said ukrainian nationalists did it just mm-hmm. just bad and that's the thing a lot of misinformation happens i mean it's not unfamiliar i mean you you've even seen the news here how misinformation has thrived and they're capitalizing on that on that on, now we have on family in the church whose whose husband this family was on kind of on the russian side but uh, lady said but kids knows kids see all that they, they were nikolai they fled to to poland kids seen everything and telling the husband now changing his opinion right away because his family see could doing that so it's yeah misinformation is like informational war is, it is going on yeah too. it's bad it's a way to start in the mind and because if you've already swayed i mean we see when people already have their preconceived ideas it's very easy to push them to one side or the other it's very easy to manipulate when you're not using the truth I appreciate, again, you, you talking to us. And so before we go, you talked a bit about what your experience was like coming here, needing work, needing legal work, someone who would, you know, who wouldn't do the hire under the table type thing. Can you talk a bit about other than than finances, any other support that you remembered needing that you might want to share with the audience? Because these are you know, things that we'll have to deal with in, in just the spirit of being good neighbors. What experience we had, you know, we were blessed to be supported by church, mm-hmm. which is mean not just one person, because there is some family was sponsored by businessmen, just one person. Mm-hmm. It was much harder for them to adjust, just much harder than, than group of people. So I would suggest if somebody want to uh, want to support, it's better to have a group of people, mm-hmm. you know. If, if not sure, just group of people to support. It will be easier than just one person because it, it's it's hard. It will be cultural differences. It will be will be money involved. It will be whatever else. It start life from beginning, you know. But like yeah. for me, it was shocking. I had a church help me. Was they got car for me? Car was old, but was still drivable. But mm-hmm. I said, oh, I have to pay money for insurance every month. I have to pay for insurance. I never heard it. Said, oh, but then I had a couple accident and I didn't go to jail. I said, okay, I'll buy insurance <laughs> because it, I didn't kill anybody. But it was right, <laughs> and it's one of those things like you have to you have to learn. It's it's that's the other thing like getting getting acclimated to how things are done here. Absolutely, it's taking time. That's why better have more than one person to support. Yes. You know? I want to thank you again, Mr. DeRoche, for joining us today. We're going to share, because I know you mentioned we we got donation links. So we're going to share those with our audience to make sure that your family gets the support they need, as well as other organizations. So that because there are a lot of people who are willing to help and we want to make sure that we direct them to the right places. So thank you again for talking to us. Oh, thank you very much for willing to help for Ukraine. You we are on the same side, you know. Wait a minute, I'll show you something. We are on Facebook. I'm mm-hmm. so proud to be an American. <laughs> You've been 20, 23 years here, right? That's yes. older than my kids. It's staying there. This 
We're glad to be in America. <laughs> glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, my Hi, hi, Mrs. Roche. Thank you so much for for uh, joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. One of the things that stood out the most in what he said was when it comes down to giving aid, it's really big. It takes a village energy, right? Instead of, you know, one person doing something, really coming together collaboratively as a group, whether it's a church group or another, you know, advocacy or organization group, because they're going to have different needs. They're going to have social needs and, and, and business needs. They'll need work and someone who can maybe help them get social services. And the church that Mr. Jarosh's family is going through to help their family members, it is River City Church of Pittsburgh. And to donate, you can go to rccop.org and there's a donation button and specify Ukraine Mission Fund in your donation. There were a couple of things outside of the very specific things, the things that are specific to Ukraine Ukraine that, that hit me first, of course, and it's the disinformation, like Christine talked about earlier, and how crucial a part that plays. I'm going to kick it to to either one of you, but one of the things I think about is how the small thing that he mentioned was how his relatives' kids seeing it is would have that impact. And I feel like that's something that even here in America, we can relate to that because so much of misinformation or hidden information that happens here is because kids are starting to see and, and being able to ask questions that adults aren't comfortable with. Do either of you want to come in on your take on, on especially like misinformation, disinformation for things like this? I'll just jump in there. One of the things that stood out to me with that misinformation campaign is this denazification and implying that the Ukraine, that's what Russia is trying to save the Ukraine from. And that's not to say that they don't have a Nazi problem. It's not to say that they don't have Nazi sympathizers. It's not to say that doesn't exist, but using that as a reason for the invasion. And, you know, and that just plays on people's fears. And it's at the high, it's at the top of a disinformation scheme that, you know, and because everybody thinks, I think, for the most part, not everyone, but when I hear of Nazis, that doesn't evoke good feelings for me. That's horrifying. So it plays on that emotion and unfortunately, I think a lot of people just, you know, they're interested in that sound bite and not digging deeper, not seeing if that's really a problem there. And I think so much about that because it's, as an American, there's a significant Nazi problem here. I mean, we, we actually have government officials who speak at rallies and are not only sympathetic, but supportive. I mean, we look at people like Josh Hawley, who while maybe not an open Nazi sympathizer, was absolutely sending positive messaging to insurrectionists on January 6th. For, for me, as someone who lives in a world where white supremacy is not just an American problem, it's an international problem, it's not saying that it, that doesn't exist. It's very big. Even the, the Peace Corps, I believe it was, sent out a very very curious messaging to some of their black volunteers saying that you may encounter racism in dealing with these people. And while I obviously have a a different 
<laughs> view of how that should be handled. It it was addressed because it is a it was a very very clear problem there. But that does not change the fact that there's a another motive, which is more of how how we got here is Putin being uncomfortable with the hole that NATO is getting to the West. Ukraine joining NATO, that's a very big chunk along that edge of the border. If you start looking at where NATO is gaining ground from just the countries that have joined since 1997. So seeing that you have to look at the bigger picture. Yes, there is very clearly a problem there, but we all that that problem is not only in Ukraine. That's not just a Ukrainian problem. So you have to take that with a grain of salt, especially when you're dealing with someone who doesn't like differences of opinion. Christine, I'd like to talk a bit because we're, we all know what the pump looks like right now. (laughs) So I just wanted to talk a little bit about what this has done sort of to the global financial outlook, just from your perspective. And you can go as narrow or wide with that as you want. Yeah, so war has impact on everything, right? And depending on the industry that we're talking about, I believe I read even just from a food supply issue, we're not even seeing, but we're going to see an impact on disruption of supply chain for grain, something that we don't even think about on a regular basis, right? There are countries that actually... rely on grain coming from the Ukraine. There are countries that, like Germany, that rely on fuel coming from Russia. What happens when you've got to factor in geopolitical situations to things that are going to disrupt everyday life for your citizens? We felt that here, we're still feeling that here with the gas prices. And so it absolutely is going to affect that. I think also whenever there's uncertainty in the world, we don't even need to follow geopolitics to start feeling it. Because when we're feeling uncertain, we're not feeling as confident as consumers to go out and buy. We're not feeling confident in investing in things. And it really does impact. We may not even know the details of of what it is, but we know something is going on that may impact me personally down the road. So, hey, maybe I shouldn't make that purchase or choose this or choose that. And, And collectively, it does start to have an impact. And I also wanted to say, going back to the disinformation part really quick, another way to also look at it is when you're dealing with authoritarian governments, and this is Russia, this is also China, and then you have the fog of war. The biggest fear to these leaders early on and ongoing is their own people. And I say that to say Putin and his elite aren't the ones going in and fighting and committing war crimes now that we're finding out and just going in and doing the dirty work, if you will. These are young soldiers who, if it weren't for Russia's ability to control its information, you've got a lot of moms right now, I'm sure in Russia, wondering where their kids are at, right? Things like that, it's in the interest of the authoritarian governments in power to try to control information in times like this, because absent of that, if they had the free flow, you'll see this early on in the war, the first thing they shut off was access to social media. Because if, you know, citizens, which they are, many of them, and then you create consequences for those who do know and try to spread spread the news internally, because that in numbers has a destabilizing effect on the government. So it's interesting to see 
that play out. And then one of the other things that they go for is medical care and how many hospitals have gotten bombed and what was said in Russian media versus what the reality was. What's being said about the massacres in Bucha versus what the reality is. This is just continually what we've been seeing. And not only in Russia, but also when we look at the Tigray region, some of these same things, we're still, we're, we're having these same issues of ethnic cleansing. People who are, and, and we're talking about people in Africa. We're, we're, we already know how we have to contend with just generalized anti-Blackness in the media. That's a thing that we deal with across the board, but especially in something like this, where there isn't a significant impact on Western interest. Right now, these are just people who are, these are just Black people who are being wiped out, walking in 100 degree heats with bullet holes. And going back to Ukraine in Mariupol, one of the things when I talked to Mr. DeRoe, she talked about how it the season's changing, presented a new challenge because some of the way they were getting water was snow. And now that the snow is starting to melt, we're, we're dealing with that. If we go back to just, just the, the heat of Africa and then having to deal with walking to a place that probably does not have sufficient medical care or not knowing what the sentiment is going to be when you arrive there. These are all things that need awareness, whether it's whether we're talking about people in Ukraine, whether we're talking about people in Tigray, whether we're talking about people who are being bused from Texas to DC, the same things, those the same aid for refuge exists. People need work, people need food, people need medical care. And this is something, whether the person is white, black, brown, those are constants. And we have open letters. Susan, can you go through some of the open letters we have? First, we're going to go through the letters we have for Ukraine, but we also have some letters for Tigray as well. Yes, we sure do. We have three that three open letters on uh, the Ukraine situation that we're highlighting today. And the first one is entitled Save Lives, Protect Ukrainians, Protect Ukraine's Skies. And this is an open letter to the president, to President Biden, and to United States Congress. And it's asking for the United States government and for NATO to help protect the airspace over Ukraine because um, so much of the destruction that's happening there is coming from the air. It's not necessarily happening on the ground, although there is a lot happening on the ground. A lot of the destruction is coming from planes flying overhead. And so that petition, the call sign for that is P is in Peter, F is in Frank, T is in Tom, Y is in yoga, G is in good, I is in ice cream. And if you text that call sign to 50409, you can sign on to this petition and you can send it to the to the president again and to members of Congress. And then the we have two other petitions and the second one is entitled more military and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. One of the big things that's happening there is we mentioned the social services have been impacted, medical facilities um, and providers have been impacted in a huge way. Facilities are being bombed, you know, as one of the ways to try to keep the Ukrainian people from fighting back. And so this petition's call sign is P is in Peter, Y is in yoga, 
W as in winter, Z as in zebra, K as in kitchen, E as in Edward. And that again is an open letter to the president and to Congress. And our third open letter on Ukraine is called Protect Ukraine Now, real simple title. And so again, it's speaking to the demolition coming from the air and having and asking for our government to take steps to try to, again, protect that airspace over the Ukraine and maybe bring an end to some of that destruction that's happening. And this call sign is P as in Peter, Q, G as in good, U as in umbrella, C as in cat, Q. And again, as always, if one of these petitions doesn't strike the right chord for you, it doesn't say what you want to say, any letter that you send to any of your legislatures, the president, Congress, you can turn any one of those into a petition by just following the prompts once you have drafted and sent your letter. So you can sign on to these or you can draft one of your own. And as always, you can then invite friends and families to sign on to your petition and send that message and show that solidarity. And we have two petitions on Tigray that we're looking at. And the first one is entitled Collapsing Healthcare in Tigray, Urgent Action is Needed. And again, this goes back to the fact that they are purposefully bombing medical facilities so people can't get medical care. And if they can't get medical care, maybe they won't fight back as much. And so it's it's a tactic. So this petition, its call sign is P as in Peter, L as in Larry, F as in Frank, M as in Mary, J as in Jelly, R as in Robert. And again, text that to 50409. And then the third one or the second one that we have on Tigray, calling for President Biden to call what's happening in Tigray exactly what it is, genocide. And so they're reminding him of his campaign promise to center human rights in policy. And so they're bringing that back to the forefront. And the call sign for this one is P as in Peter, I as in ice cream, B as in boy, E as in Edward, Y as in yoga, G as in good. And again, if these petitions don't say what you need to say or what's in your heart, any letter that you send can become a petition. And we encourage you to look at these or send one of your own. Thanks so much, Susan. And yeah, that's absolutely it because there's so many, when you're looking at war, there are so many different issues that need attention, that need help. And and of course, military aid is one of them, but there are going to have to be, there does need to just be a, a more cohesive plan for how aid is administered in an even-handed and equitable way across the board. And that's something, so there's always space for that. And you can text resist to 50409. Before we dip, I wanted to talk to you about if, if there were any other things that you had your eye on this week. I do. Uh, I don't know if you have followed what's going on in China, but they have a flare up of and if you even Google Shanghai right now, usually when you Google Shanghai, you get news about, you know, economic development, about innovation, about things like that, that they like to associate with, you know, it's one of the most modern cities in Shanghai in China, kind of always compared to the New York of China, if you will. 
there is a lot of unrest right now happening. There is a complete lockdown of the city that has been taking place probably for a good two to three weeks now. And it doesn't look like it's letting up because their COVID cases numbers are going up. And there are some very disturbing videos that keep getting posted by these citizens and keep getting taken down and blocked because going back to what we mentioned about an authoritarian authoritarian government's ability to censor its own people, the news is getting out. And so I just wanted to bring attention to that. You know, the contrast to that, I know people like to compare the U.S. and China and authoritarianism versus democracy, but this is a very extreme case where you can see what happens when basic civil services break down and there is a lack of accountability and on top of that, a need to censor. So actually the truth can't get out. And so what happens is the citizens become even more distrustful of their own government on relying on certain things, such as just delivering vegetables to their, because food is running out and starts a downward spiral. So I just wanted to just highlight that. Thanks. Thanks so much. And absolutely, it's always going to be who controls the information. That's why when things like billionaires wanting to purchase Twitter outright, people react because you have to understand, you have to think about what that means. What does that mean when someone controls a powerful information conduit? So absolutely, I have been looking into that, but I am going to look in more because I didn't know about the removed videos. See, that's why I got to ask questions because I'm here to learn too. Susan, do you have anything that you're taking a look at listening to has got your attention? Candidly, I have had a very low key week and I've not really looked at anything, but I would just ask people to, if you're looking for ways to support the people in Tigray, if you're looking for ways to support people in the Ukraine, Google how can Americans help? And there are all kinds of organizations that are doing really good work. Doctors Without Borders is one of them. That's their mission to go in and help where help is needed. So I just encourage people to look at your church, your local church, if you're a person of faith, are they doing any kind of fundraising? Just search out some ways to help. And and that's what I'm going to be doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's that's something we all need to look more into If you know of a conflict and it's not Tigray or it's not Ukraine, just know that even if it's not in the news, there's probably the same basic tactics and the same basic needs out there. So be sure to to look more and look for the the organizations who are providing help. So before we go, Christine, tell them where they can follow you. Christine Liu on Twitter, as usual. So see you there. Thanks, Christine and Susan. I'm at TwinThing2 on Twitter. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you, for whatever reason, want to follow me on Twitter, I am at the Gates of Mal. Instead of an O, just use a zero. One of the things I cheated, I didn't tell anybody what I was looking at. But what I've been looking at is the unofficial war unhoused people that seems to be going on in New York and just the disregard for people who who don't have means while at the same time there are you know things like subway shootings that that go where where a a shooter can kind of take the day in a with a police force that has an 11 billion dollar budget i'm kind of struggling for words because i still 
Don't understand how a thing like that happens. That is the thing that has my rage, attention, ire. And so if there are, there's anyone who would like to write a letter, whether it's a letter to the editor, a letter to your representative, a letter to your mayor, to let them know what you think, text resist to 50409. We're here to help. And that is our show this week. So if you want to learn more or if you want to volunteer or donate, you can go to resist.bot. Same for if you want to become a monthly donor, which gives you all sorts of little nifty stuff, including skipping the line when the bot is on fire and a lot of little helpful tools that tools that can help you find things, find out things like your registration, COVID testing sites. There are a lot of great things. So you should definitely make use of the resist bot tool. I also want to thank our monthly donors. We have a few this week that I want to shout out. Stephanie from Fort Worth, Texas. Nina from Sandy Springs, Georgia. Kimberly from Winchester, Virginia. Pam from La Vista, Nebraska. And Mary from Pont Vedra Beach, Florida. And her says defeat DeSantis. So I want to thank you all for helping us. You are the reason we're able to keep doing what we do. If you want to read more about this week's topic or any of our other past topics, we have a wonderful blog that is uh, run by Susan Stutz, our blogger extraordinaire. So please, by all means, if you're on resist.bot, you just click on news and you can catch our latest blog posts. We are here again every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern and our podcast goes up every Monday and you can join the conversation by using the hashtag live botters. You can subscribe to this video, rs.bot.video, or you could sc- can subscribe to the podcast, rs.bot.pod. I want to thank you again for joining us and see you next week. Resist Bot Live originally airs as a live stream every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and is brought to you by the same folks behind the chatbot. If you haven't used ResistBot before, it's simple. iPhone users, go to resist.bot on the web and tap the iMessage button. Non-iPhone users, open your text messaging app and compose a new text message. For the phone number, type 50409. In the message field, type resist or any of the keywords you heard on the show. You can also direct message ResistBot on Twitter or the Telegram app. For a printable keyword guide and more resources, visit our website at resist.bot. Our website has a complete guide to creating robust public policy or voter turnout campaigns, and we're here to support your activism. Email support at resist.bot if you need help getting started. ResistBot is a nonprofit social welfare organization built by volunteers and supported by your donations. You can donate on our website or email volunteer at resist.bot if you want to join our team. ResistBot Live is moderated by Melanie Dion. Our regular panel includes Athena Foulet, Christine Liu, Susan Stutz, and Dr. Joseph Kuhill. Thank you for listening.